With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. And I'll turn things over to Shauna Geiger. Hi. Um, this is Shauna Geiger from the Federal Defenders in Colorado. And I have the pleasure of interviewing Gina Presky from Wisconsin, who thoughtfully and helpfully brought the people in crisis simulation to Colorado for the Alternate Defense Council back in August. And so I'm going to talk to her today about what that is and why it's important and how it works. So, Gina, can you tell us, first of all, what is the, what is the people in crisis poverty simulation? Okay, so what it is is um, it was actually, it's actually a simulation program that was designed and developed by, and hopefully I want to say this right, the Missouri Community Action Group. I think that was the name of the the group that put it together. Um, so it's not something that Wisconsin specifically, you know, created. It was something created by this other group, and um, we came to find out about it in I think it was like 2000 probably seven or eight, 2007, 2008, I got this random flyer across my desk one day saying, hey, come and, um, you know, participate in this poverty simulation in northern Wisconsin. And it was a training that was being put together by um, one of the University of Wisconsin Extension um, colleges, and it was a training specifically for social workers. And so... My colleague, Peter Anderson, and I signed up and went up to it and attended it, and I'll tell you in a minute what it, what it is, but we, um, after participating in it, decided, oh my God, this is something that public defenders should be doing because what it is, is it gives the participants a, a good feeling, or not a good feeling, but a, a better feeling about what it might be like to live with limited resources. And you'll notice I'm using things, phrases like limited resources instead of poor. And, um, and we call it people in crisis, not poverty simulation, because uh, part of the, a lot of the families that are represented in the simulation are actually wealthy or you know, well-off compared to a lot of our public defender clients. So, um, but basically what it is, so you, you the people who participate in the program get assigned to a family and they get assigned to a specific role in a family. And the way the, the specific program is um, put together is that there's 26 families. Each family starts with a letter of the alphabet and the family structure varies depending on, um, you know, which letter of the alphabet is. So like the A through C families are five-person families with a uh, um, married uh, man and woman and then uh, three kids. And the, one of the parents was employed and the other parent was just recently laid off. 
And then you've got other families who it's like a single parent um, family raising two children. There are other families that it's a grandma and grandpa raising um, two grandchildren. And so each family makeup is, uh, the family makeups are different. The incomes, the assets, the resources, the debt, the bills, et cetera, are all different. And um, what the, basically what, it, what you do is when people are assigned to the family, they're given instructions about, um, you know, what the makeup of the family is, what their monthly expenses are, what their assets are, what their income level is, whether or not they're receiving benefits, that kind of thing. And they're instructed to, for one hour, basically live in this family and kind of get through the months. Um, and so the one hour represents one month, and it's broken up into four 15-minute week um, segments. And so um, during each 15-minute week segment, the families are supposed to do what you would do in real life. So like you get up on a Monday morning, and if you have a job, you go to work. If you're a school-age kid, you go to school. If you are a two-year-old and you're in daycare, you you know go to daycare. And the room is set up such that there are different stations around the room that represent um, those different types of places that people would go. So like your employer, the school, um, the, the, uh, the food store, the a bank, um, the utility company where you would go to pay your utility bill. Um, there's a pawn shop. So if people feel they need to pawn some of their um, assets, they'll go do that. Um, but basically, they're instructed to, you know, pay their bills. Um, you know, some of some of the instructions for the families say that you need to report to the Department of Family Services to update your, um, you know, your information or your address or whatever because you're receiving public benefits. And so, people are told to do that. And essentially, what happens is. By the end of that hour, people are really, really stressed out because what they're finding out is that there isn't enough time to do what they need to do. They find out that they're not treated very well by the people that they're dealing with. They find out that um, when they think they're going to receive help from one place, they really don't. You know, they're given the runaround. Um, and and it's the program is set up that way. It's set up so that the people participating leave at the end of that hour feeling overwhelmed and stressed out and hopeless and angry and all sorts of emotions that in real life people who live with limited resources feel. I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell, but it is. So how so, – oops. Um, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, I was going to say, do you want me to keep going a little bit more or do you want to jump in, Sean? Well, I can ask you, I guess, how many people participate and how does that, what does that look like? So the maximum number of people who can participate as family members is 74. And, um, and what we have found is a minimum, a good minimum number is some 
where around like 40 to 45 people is a good minimum number because if it gets low, lower than that, what we have found is that the um, like the noise level, the number of bodies in the room um, don't get to the point where it needs to be to feel that, that stress and that sort of anxiety that you feel when, you know, there's a long line at the, you know, utility company to go pay your electric bill. And if there's not enough participants, then you, they have more time to, to get things done. And, and part of the point of the program is to not have enough time to get things done in the, in the allotted time. So, so yeah, so anywhere, um, 74 is the maximum. And then on top of that, though, there are anywhere from 12 to 15 people who play those roles of, um, of those different stations that I talked about. So like the employer or the teacher or the electric, you know, the utility company, the bank, um, the pawn shop and, and the Department of Family Services and all those different um, stations that the people have to go to during that one hour. And those people um, have very specific instructions as well as to how to play their role. For example, if, um, if you know, they're instructed to do things like don't give back the right amount of change, you know, give back too little change, give back too much change to see what happens. And inevitably what happens is the, particip the family participants don't even notice that they're getting back too little change because they're too stressed out and harried, you know, to even count, and they're too focused on the, you know, the next thing that they have to get done within that um, specific time period. Um, if they notice, a lot, a lot of times what happens is, is if they get back, you know, too much change, they don't say anything um, because they know that if they do and they have to give the money back, that they're just going to, it's just going to hurt them in the end. I mean, and and we can talk more later, maybe about the discussion and sort of the, um, I guess, the debriefing the things piece. Yeah, the debriefing piece. Yeah, the discussion okay. piece. And um, I know, Gina, you sent the materials to Jeff, so they should be on my Gideon's, which includes a really good description of what the program is. It also has sort of a seating chart or map of how to set up the room. Um, yep. And that maps for the 72 people, right? Yeah. Yeah, And then there's also a description of who the volunteers play, what role yep. they play. And yep. there's also, you've included the 2009 Wisconsin poverty rates by county, which is mm -hmm. super helpful. Although I think for each, if you're going to do it in your own state, you need to get the data for your for your state rather than using Wisconsin's. Although you can right. use Wisconsin's. It's it's yeah, probably similar across the country, but that's all in my Gideon. And so, but I want to focus logistically on how do you, how, what kind of space do you need to conduct this in? So you're going to need a space big enough to fit the number of chairs that you're going to have. So, you know, if you look at that diagram that shows the, the room set up, the, there's chairs that are set up in the center of the room that basically represent the family's homes. And um, so, again, depending on the family size, families are anywhere from one person to five people. You set up these little clusters of chairs to represent the family home. Um, the, the poverty kit, the simulation kit itself includes, you know, all of the materials that you need, um, including 
the uh, signs for that has the last name of the family that you would put in that cluster of chairs. So when the participants arrive, you tell them, okay, you're going to be in the Aber family, and so go in the room and find the the set of five chairs that is the Aber home. Um, so you've got all those chairs in the center for however many family participants you're going to have. So up to is it 72? I can remember 72 or 74. 74, um, I think. Yeah, and then um, so those are in the center, and then around the edge of the room would be those stations. Um, now, what we have found, we've done this thing probably in the last you know ten or eight years or however many years we've been doing it in Wisconsin. We've probably done it. I don't even like a hundred times. I don't even know how. I mean, like because we we've done it now not only for our staff, but we do it for a number of other groups around the state as well, and we can talk later about how that happened. But um, what we have found is that if the room is too big and there's lots of space for people to move about the room and to wait in line, that's not good. Because, again, I mean, the more crowded it is, the more it adds to the level of stress. And that's really what you are going for here is for people to feel really stressed out. Um, and at the same time, though, you don't want it too tight because you need enough space, obviously, for people to move about the room and get to these different stations and um, and that kind of thing. So, for example, one of the places that we did it was um, I did it at a school, and they set the program up in their gym, and the gym was really big, and I didn't want them to have that much space um, to move about. So what we did is I, you know, we kind of like whatever the – what would like the basketball court or whatever it would be where the red lines are around the gym. We set up the, t- the stations around there and said, okay, you can't, you have to stay within this, like, this block of, of the gym um, during the simulation to try to get that, that feel of, oh my God, there's lots of people and I'm waiting in this very crowded line for, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the map, just when I first saw the map, I was like, what in the heck does this look like? But I've seen it now. Each of the little lines or dashes represents a chair. A chair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So that makes it a little easier. So like the single women are T and U, and they're just a single yep. chair. Yep. So um, where do you, if you wanted to get this for your agency, where would you do that? You can order it online at the, um, again, and I wish, if I was at my desk in front of my computer, I would look it up right now, but I'm sitting in a hotel lobby, so I can't look it up. But it's the Missouri Community Action, I think. It's the state of Missouri. It was developed there. And I want to say it's like the Community Action Coalition. Um, it's the Community Action Missouri Community Action Network, and actually, if you just network, Google okay. Missouri Poverty Simulation, because they do call it that, um, mm-hmm. it'll it, that's the first thing that comes up in Google. Okay, yeah, and so you can get the kit there, and I think now the cost of the kit is about twenty one hundred dollars, I believe. I think when we bought it several years ago, it was like eighteen hundred dollars, um, so it's gone up a little bit in price, but Again, the kit includes everything that you need, including um, the fake money. I mean, everything is done in the simulation. Everything is done with cash. Um, And, you know, all of the the instructions for the the family members, the instructions for the 
the organizations that are, you know, at those stations. Um, it includes the facilitator manuals. So, you know, after the one-hour simulation, what happens is a facilitated discussion with the group, basically asking um, the group, you know, how did that feel? Um, did people do something during this hour that they wouldn't normally do in real life? Um, you know, did that feel real to you? Why or why not? I mean, it's basically a discussion about, you know, the experience. Um, so the kit includes that as well. Um, I, I think will tell when you, you, yeah, when you told me about it and you were bringing the kit, we shipped it to Colorado, I thought, oh, maybe we'll just look at it and try to make it ourselves. And then I was completely overwhelmed by the prospect of doing that because there's so many pieces to it and it's all laminated, which is great because the way it gets used, it has to yeah. be sturdy. And so I don't, I don't think it's very practical. I suppose some larger agencies might be able to pull that off, but it, it just didn't seem very practical to me. I'm looking online and it's 21.50 now. Um, so what do you do about like the children that are in families? So, well, that's a very good question, Shauna. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> um, okay, so in some of the families, there are one-year-old and three-year-old children. And the first few times that we did the simulation, we put people into those one- and three-year-old roles, and we found pretty quickly that the people that, ha that had to play the one- and three-year-olds had a pretty, not a very, um, it wasn't very useful to them. Their, their experience was not the same as it was for, for the other people. So what we decided to do instead was we now use um, stuffed animals for the one- and three-year-olds, and the participants are instructed, you know, that, okay, even though this is a stuffed bear, it is, like, it's a human. It's, that is your one-year-old child. So, you know, obviously then they can't just leave that one-year-old stuffed, stuffed animal on the chair, you know, during the hour. They have to treat it like a real human. And, um, and interestingly, when we had decided a long time ago to do it that way, and since we bought the kit, um, you know, I don't know if they got feedback or what, but the makers of the kit themselves decided to put little babies in the kit for the one- and three-year-olds. So even they, I, at some point, realized that, okay, we don't need to use live humans for those roles, but we can just use, you know, stuffed animals or stuffed babies or whatever. So, um, but yes, so we do that for them. And then the other kids, because there's a lot of other kids, though, and, and most of the families do have kids in the simulation, and so... Um, the other ages can be anywhere from like eight years old, I think it was like eight, nine year old, and then there's a lot of teenager um, roles. And they're instructed, even though during that one hour they're at school, a lot of the time we do specifically instruct the, the people playing the kid roles separately to play their role like a kid. Like, you know, if you're a 13 year old, um, don't make it, you know, most 13-year-olds don't make it easy all the time for their parent. You know, they're asking for things that maybe the family can't afford or, you know, they need help with their homework, but the parent doesn't have time to help them or, you know, whatever it is. And some of the kid roles um, are, um, some of the kids are instructed based on the packets instruction 
to, you know, that like this kid has ADD, this kid has been in trouble with the law, this kid is a straight A student, this kid, you know, um, has asthma or, you know, whatever it is. And so they're instructed, you know, to, to get in that role. And if you're, you know, the kid who's the ADD kid, you know, play it, you know, try to play it like, like someone that, you know, really has ADD. So, um, so they're instructed to, to do that. And then another thing that kind of comes out with the kids too is one of the um, volunteer roles is what they call in the kit, they call it a um, illegal activities person, which basically is someone who tries to lure the family members, whether they're the adults or the kids, into um, criminal activity as a means of earning some money. And um, so what ends up happening in the simulation is a lot of the teenage kids start to sell drugs or, you know, whatever, um, to make some money to help their family make ends meet, basically. And people don't know about the illegal activities person until, you know, they're not introduced as part of the beginning. They're just, no one knows that that person is out there, you know, until the end and then when we have the discussion, you know, we talk about that person and if people are, um, if people did things that they wouldn't normally do and like, and why, you know, why did you do that? And, you know, the answer always is, well, because I had no other choice. I mean, I felt like I had to, so I was going to go buy food or whatever. Okay. And so how was that received? How has it been received in Wisconsin? So when we first told our staff that we were going to roll this out statewide to everyone, we probably more than any other training we've done got some flack. Um, I feel like most of the training that we do, people are pretty open to it and excited about it. And, you know, there's no question in their mind that it's going to be of value. But this one, we got a lot of emails and phone calls from staff saying, why are we doing this? We already know what it's like to be poor because our clients are poor and we talk to our clients every day about about what it's like to be poor. And what we explained to them and what we were pretty confident would, would happen once they participated was, well, you're right. You do hear from your clients every day. We do work with clients every day. And from that, we can hear their stories and we tell their stories. Um, but this is going to be a little bit different in that for just like for an hour, we're just going to get a little bit of a feeling. Um, it's a visceral thing, you know. And the way we describe it when we introduce the program is, you know, you can read about living in poverty, living with limited resources, um, you know, the impact that might have. You know, you can read about it. You can hear about it. You can see it on the news or whatever. Um, but to actually do a simulation, even just for an hour, is going to give you um, a completely, you know, like it, it's going to get you at an emotional level or a physical level or whatever. And what we found was a lot of the people who were skeptical about it told us afterwards, like, okay, you know what? Yeah, that actually, anywhere from, you know, it wasn't, that it wasn't as horrible as I thought it was to, oh, my God, I was so wrong about that. That was really helpful. I'm really glad that I did that. And I know when I first did it, when Peter and I um, participated ourselves with the social workers, 
I mean, the very first thing I thought was like, holy shit, I wish I would have had this like my first day on the job as a public defender because one of the things that I got frustrated about with my clients was, you know, if they didn't show up for an appointment or they didn't show up for court or they were late or whatever. Um, I always, and this, I mean, this sounds so terrible and I, I mean, I'm hopefully a different person than I was then 24 years ago, but I'd be like, God, you know, uh, client, you know, why didn't they show up? They don't care about their case. They're just being irresponsible, blah, 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 blah. But then doing the simulation, it was like, oh, my God, like, I'm so stupid. Hi, Robin. Thank you. Um, it's like, you know what? They probably didn't come or they were late because they didn't have transportation or some other emergency came up that they needed to deal with, like with their kid or something else. And um, And so one of the things that, that it did for me personally and and did for a lot of our staff who've done it is it really opened their mind to, you know what, don't automatically assume, you know, bad intention on the part of the client if the client doesn't show up or whatever. Um, don't assume, you know, or or don't say things to the client like, you know, the hey, the prosecutor is saying that if you just pay that $100 restitution up front, they'll reduce it to an ordinance. You know, can you do that? And then the client's like, no, there's no way I can come up with $100. And then the lawyer comes back with, well, what do you mean? It's only $100. Come on, you can't, you know, come on. It's not, it's just $100. And then, you, and then the case goes away, da, 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 and the client's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. And so just um, really understand, uh, just a better understanding of where the client is um, is coming from. And um bye thank you um so yeah so in the beginning you know there was definitely some um skepticism and a little bit of resistance but overall by the time our staff participated as a whole it was received really well um and it was great i mean it it felt it was it was really good to see that Despite that, you know, people did come and um, for the most part did participate. We did have a few, like a handful of people throughout the state that just sort of refused um, um, to participate and just sort of sat in the corner and whatever. But, um, but like, for the most part, people were um, participated and, and did find it worthwhile. Has that been the case in the other places that you've gone and where else have you done this? Yeah, the other places that we've done this, and and I'll give you some examples in a second. It, it, it was like the opposite. Like there was, it was a very warm reception, and there was no resistance, no no like negativity. It was it was like, yeah, we can't wait to do this. And so some examples of places that we have done it and continued to do it are, um, there's a private college in Madison, uh, Edgewood College, and their nursing program has made it part of their curriculum. And so each semester we do it for the nursing students at Edgewood College. And we've been doing it there, I think, for at least the last probably five years, maybe. Um, and then the UW-Madison nursing program found out about it through um, the people that, that or in the Edgewood nursing program. And then so they asked us to come and do it, and now they've made it part of their curriculum as well. So the students that we're doing it for, you know, they're, they're nursing students, and a lot of them are going to go into public health. And so when we do it 
for the students, you know, we, we tweak the discussion a little bit and kind of focus on some of the issues that um, those working in public health might encounter. And, you know, for example, people not selling prescriptions or people sharing prescriptions or people making the prescriptions, you know, stretch, like taking half a dose instead of full dose because they can't afford to get it filled, you know, as often as they're supposed to or whatever. Or why, you know, a mom might not be visiting their kid in a hospital and it's not because the mom doesn't care, but because mom doesn't have transportation to get there or mom's going to get fired from both her jobs if she, um, you know, leaves work to, to go see her kid and, and things like that. So, um, so nursing students, we've done it for the law school um, as part of one of the, um, like one of their, uh, I can't remember what the class was, but we did it for law students. We, we've done it for, we did it for a group of judges a few years ago, which was really interesting. Um, we've done it for child, uh, child support agency. We've done it for um, CASA volunteers, child appointed special advocates. I don't know if you guys have those in your states. Um, we have done it for a few churches around the area, um, a couple different schools. Um, it, yeah, so just like what, and the way that it's happened is people just sort of by word of mouth, like someone, you know, with the Edgewood College Nursing Program, you know, will have participated and then they tell someone about it and then that person calls us and says, hey, can you, you know, will you do this on Saturday for our church group or, you know, whatever it is. So um, so it's kind of spread just by word of mouth. And we, you know, on the one hand, we're like super excited, like, yes, you know, we're kind of educating others who work with, might work with or at least um, interact with our clients or, or people, you know, living in poverty and, you know, we can have an impact on how they feel about about our clients. Um, but at the same time, it's really time-consuming, and um, you know we don't want to say no. But we're finding like it's just it's stretching stretching our time. But but it's good. It's good. We we like doing it for other people. And have you taken it to other agencies outside of Wisconsin? We have, like Colorado, fact. maybe like Colorado. Yes, indeed. We <laughs> um, so we did it for Col- We did it for Shauna when she was at ABC. Um, we did it in Missouri for Melinda um, Pendergraft for the Missouri Public Defender's Office. We did it two years in a row down there um, at their annual conference. And the second time we went down, we did what we did with you, Shauna, where we um, did like a facilitator training. So Melinda um, and Shauna got a group of their staff together who would be uh, be able to you know run the program and facilitate the program and um, you know, in their state, and uh, and Peter and I came and kind of you know spent an afternoon and talked about our experience and gave them tips about how we can how they can um, do the program and kind of learn from our experience and what not to do and what to do and and that kind of thing. Yeah, that was really great. In in fairness, the Colorado State Public Defenders had you guys come. I just took advantage of having you in town and oh, had our right. people get yes. trained. And then our people were able to act as uh, the people who got trained to facilitate. Then the next day were able to act as volunteers and see how it looks. Because when you're doing the facilitation training, it's really hard to picture 
how it goes down. I mean, even mm-hmm. listening to it now, I've seen it before, so it makes a huge difference. But when I hadn't seen it, it's hard to conceptualize what it yeah. looks like and how the pressure feels and and what the dynamic is between the people. But when you when we had the facilitators who are trained then go and do it, I think that makes a huge difference because otherwise I would feel I would have felt weird about like I don't understand this room map and I yeah. don't know what it all looks like. So if if people bring it to their area, I think it's great if the f- people who are trained to facilitate then can also participate in one because it makes absolutely. The, but I wouldn't yeah. do the simulation first and then do the training because seeing the simulation out of context from knowing that you're the facilitator and how that looks too, I think it's better to do the facilitation training first and then have them participate so the pieces kind of fall into place. Uh-huh. At least that was our experience. And yeah, everybody and really I, loved it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I I think, for, in my opinion, I think it could go either way, facilitator training first or after. I mean, when Peter and I, because um, Peter and I participated, you know, as family members, and then from there we were like, yeah, we want to do this. And then we, Peter actually went and participated, um, I think, in another one that was in Madison. And then we had the help of someone in Madison who had been facilitating the program for years for UW Extension um, help us. We sort of did like our facilitator training or whatever. And I think Missouri, um, oh, another group that I did it for was were the um, federal defenders for Kansas like whatever district of Kansas. Right. And they, yeah, and it's, and I didn't do facilitator training for them. Instead, they did Missouri's facilitator training because I think that the people who developed the kit themselves themselves offer um, a facilitator training. And, you know, I don't know what that looks like or, or, and where, or if they only do it in Missouri or where. But, um, but, but, yeah, I mean, definitely if this is something that, someone wants to bring to their group you got to do it you have to do it at least once first as a participant or a volunteer to see it in action and um and then it's like and you're right shauna after that it's like oh okay yeah now that makes sense now i get it that's what that means and um so so um I was wondering how, when you got judges to do it, for instance, how was that proposed to them and how did you get their buy-in to agree to do that? Because I think we'd all love for the judges and I think it would be great for probation and some of those other agencies who are, or clerks of court who deal with our clients and payments and things like that. But it's hard to know how to broach that with them. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Okay, so, well, first off, I forgot to mention that when we rolled it out um, to our staff statewide way back in the beginning, we had our local office staff invite their local criminal justice, um, you know, people, including, you know, prosecutors, judges, law enforcement, probation, parole, um, social workers, so, um uh, to come to the program when we brought it to them. And I think I think we ended up, you know, doing the program probably, I don't know, at least a dozen times around the state, all over the state. And so we were able to get a lot of those people that way. And by having, you know, local staff invite their local law enforcement, their local DA, um, 
they were better able to get those people there than like if it was central administration, you know, doing the invite. Um, so that worked out really well. And um, I mean, I guess the one not so great thing to say about that is a lot of the other people in the system who participated um, were people who already sort of already got it. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, but, but, still there's some value in that because then they can go back and be like, hey, you know, I just did this thing and it was really great and, um, you know, I learned something and, you know, I think we all could learn something here and whatever. Um, so we did that. And now with the judges, how that all happened was the one of the, um, like the judicial clerk for that district, um, I forget what her actual title is, had heard about the program and she just took it upon herself to put that on the agenda. Like basically had the balls to um, just do it and not really care what the judge thought. And um, so, so we weren't asked specifically by the judges, but we were asked by her. And so that was one of the reasons we were a little bit nervous about doing it was like, oh my gosh, it wasn't, you know, like the chief judge or whoever who asked us, it was the judicial administrator or whatever her role is and um but it went really well i mean it was and it was a smaller group i want to say it was like 30 to 40 judges um would you like to know the demographic of the group i, I would <laughs> i would say about nine probably 95 to 98 percent of them were white male over the age of 50 um and they they participated they were engaged they did not um poo poo it they did not sit with their arms folded they they did it and they engaged in the discussion afterwards and for the most part um told us that that you know they found it worthwhile um whether or not it had an impact when they all went back home and, you know, went back to the bench. I don't know. We didn't do specific follow-up with them. Um, now, the other thing I forgot to mention was in Milwaukee County, if you're not familiar with Wisconsin, Milwaukee County is the largest county in the state. Um, the They have this uh, committee there that includes – um, their chief judge, a couple of prosecutors, a couple of our public defender staff lawyers. Um, I think they're like their victim witness coordinator person, and I'm not sure who else. But they so this this committee in Milwaukee County meets on a regular basis and talks about and comes up with um, different training and different things that they feel as a county system, criminal justice system, they should. Um, do you know like work you know training that they should attend or um you know things they should discuss in a meeting or you know whatever it is and so the chief judge at the time um decided based on the, the public defender staff who sit on this committee who had you know participated in the simulation several years ago um agreed like okay you know what yeah let's let's give this a shot if you guys just you know he respected the opinions of these two staff lawyers and um and and he, he said okay yeah let's do this and so he basically shut down the court system on two separate friday afternoons 
and told his fellow judges and um, the DA on the committee, um, you know, told his colleagues and then our public defender staff, they all, um, even though they had participated before, all participated in the simulation. And that was really great. And, um, you know, so I think how that happens is if you want judges or prosecutors or law enforcement or probation to participate, um, I think it has to be brought up or suggested by someone that those people, you know, respect and um, and know and have that really good relationship with and um, and are going to, you know, give it a shot. Um, I tried, we are... Um, our prosecutors in Wisconsin are trained. Um, their training is put together by uh, the Department of Justice. They have a um, like an education and training office in DOJ that does the training for the county prosecutors. And um, the person who was in charge of the it's called the State Prosecutors Education and Training Director, the director at the time was um, just someone who really believed in um, this kind of thing and wanting to make, you know, the system better and, have, you know, for all people to have more compassion and empathy and, and that kind of thing toward, you know, criminal defendants. And she was very open to wanting to offer this at their prosecutor conference, the annual conference. But unfortunately, her boss... Um, wasn't so interested, and so that never happened. <laughs> mm. So um, even though you know she's the one who puts it together, it, the final approval had to be by her boss, and her boss wasn't real keen on doing it. So it never happened there. But but it can happen in other ways, in little bits and pieces. Like if you're going to do it, um, you know, around the states, and you can have your local people invite their local people, you can get in little bits. Um, mm -hmm people involved that way. Um, what would you say are some of the interesting things that you've learned from listening to the debriefings, particularly from lawyers or judges? So, um, or criminal justice people, I mean. Yeah. So the ones that stick out and that we share when we do debriefings, um, share with permission, um, are things like the criminal def the the public defender who has been a public defender for 25 years who didn't want to come to the simulation thought it was really stupid um but came because his secretary um gave him a lot of shit for not wanting to go and just and because of that he decided okay fine I'll just go um came and then during the debriefing stood up and said, wow, and admitted, like, I didn't want to go. I thought this was going to be really stupid. Um, but, you know, so-and-so kind of made me go, and so I went, so I came. He's like, he's like, never again am I going to say to a client that it's just $100 or, you know, that, that if you have this amount of money, um, your case will go away what's wrong, why can't you, you know, it's only a little bit of money. He's like, I'm never again going to say that. And he said he, he just feels horrible that all these years that he didn't get that until, like, just now. He's like, like, what's wrong with me? Like, how could I have not gotten that until, like, just now? So that was, like, a, an example of, you know, this longtime public defender having this aha moment of, like, oh, my God, you know, any amount of money is too much money for our clients. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a cop we had um, in one of the places that we took it, we the um, the chief of uh, again the exact title, whoever runs ran their um, county jail, whatever the sheriff's deputy um, jail administrator um, came to it, and the comment he gave during um, the debriefing was. His exact words were, wow, I get it now. Like, I get it. I get why people steal stuff. He's like, I, you know, I get why someone might steal diapers or um, or money, you know, for food or whatever it is. He's like, I get it now. And he's like, I have a totally different perspective about, you know, some of the people that are in the jail right now. Um, you know, they're not as bad as I, as I automatically assumed um, them to be or whatever. So, you know, so to hear that from a law enforcement officer. Um, I think a lot of the, uh, some of the more interesting comments, again, can't come from these, um, like these nursing students, these 20-something-year-old people who haven't, don't have a lot of life experience yet already, um, you know, already have these assumptions and uh, in their minds about who people are and, you know, the the one I gave earlier about, you know, the kids in the hospital and mom never comes to see them and, you know, their assumption right away is mom doesn't care. And it's like, you know, they go through this and they're like, wait, wait, wait. It's Maybe it's not mom doesn't care. Maybe it's mom can't get here or mom's going to get fired from her job if she does or, or whatever. Um, so, and not giving people, you know, a hard time about, well, why aren't you filling your prescription or, you know, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of comments about, you know, being late, or not showing up for appointments, um, a lot more understanding about, or at least an open mind about lack of transportation or transportation being a huge, huge issue for our clients. Um, so I think what, I think the biggest thing is that people leave um, realizing like, okay, you know, these assumptions that I've made, I, I can't make these assumptions anymore. I need to come from, I, I need to have an open mind and, and come from a, a good place, like a, you know, good intention, well-intentioned, not automatically assuming bad intention on the part of our clients if they don't do something that we expect them to do. Okay. So so I'm thinking back about the debrief in Colorado and to a comment that a woman made about um, the people of color who would go up to her. I think she was the jobs person and how the people of color tended to say things that caused her to have to get in their face. And that made me wonder, what what have you noticed is the interplay between bias generally and the simulation? Um, that is a good question. Um, the simulation is designed, and we've kind of kept it, that way is more about bias as it relates to poverty and poor people than it does about race. Um, and we, and it's hard, I mean, it's hard to separate the two. I, you know, I understand and I, you know, I get that. Um, but the, um, but the way people are treated during the simulation um, you know, people feel they're being treated poorly by, you know, the the different stations that they're that they're going to. It's 
pro- it's more because of their financial situation than it is necessarily their race. I mean, for example, um, I mean, for example, when people are assigned to a family, it's purely random. There are no, there, there's nothing in the simulation about what the race of the person is. And granted, so you kind of take, so whoever you are, what your real race is, and that's gonna be, you know, who you are. But people, the the volunteers are not instructed in any specific way to treat people of color one way and and um, white people another way, but rather treat. They're pretty much told treat everyone poorly because that's kind of how we. That's kind of how society is. We, you know, don't. We're not always very kind to you know people who are poor. Um, so, and I'm trying to remember, Shauna, back to that comment, and I remember when that person said that thinking it was going to go one way and then by the time she was done talking it was like a completely different <laughs> it was a little way. bit shocking and it was it because was, yeah. it felt like she was trying to justify her behavior of, as treating people poorly like she had to have a reason that she did yeah. that and she and she's employed by a public defender agency so i was even more stunned and she seemed to have no compunctions about saying you know mm-hmm. The Mexican people, I think she said, would mm-hmm. get in my face, so I would have to get in their face back, and mm-hmm. it, and it was just sort of startling because I, it's interesting that the volunteers are having an equally interesting experience in mm-hmm. in behaving that way and how they physically feel and emotionally feel in in trying to carry out those roles and how frustrating it is and how it's not so fun to be the bad guy who makes you fill out forms. Mm-hmm. So, But it was mm-hmm. just interesting to me that in it, it was such the naked truth in the debrief that she didn't even hesitate to say that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. front of 75 mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I guess you got to appreciate that people say those things because then you kind of know, like, okay, that's what they're coming from and mm-hmm. it's just, I guess, information right like mm-hmm. okay and like what do we you know maybe there's some other education or whatever that needs to happen well if, people she's, are, if she's saying it other people are feeling it they just sure yeah yeah didn't so blurt yeah. it out yeah yeah I think it's a good way to needs assess what other kind of training your agency needs too based on how the debriefing goes like mm-hmm. more on client mm-hmm. interviews or more on on race relations or more on bias generally. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really useful that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is there anything that we didn't cover that you think that people would really need to know about conducting a people in crisis simulation? Um, not that I can think of, but you just saying people in crisis, you know, um, you said at the beginning, um, or maybe Jeff said, that the name people in crisis is, is what we decided to call it. Um, you know, it is like the poverty simulation or whatever, but we didn't like poverty simulation because um, one thing that we were wanted to be sensitive about was, you know, a lot of our staff who have lived in poverty or even are currently living in poverty we didn't want people to think that we were trying to like make fun or belittle or make light of you know people's situations so um 
and but but the other reason was because, like I said before, like a lot of the families in the simulation are actually not at all like our clients. I mean, they actually are pretty well off um, compared to our clients, and so we didn't want it to be what we wanted people to, um, I guess, really kind of remember is the like the crisis part of it is of it, and that. You know, when you have limited resources, whether you're technically living in poverty or not or whatever, you have limited resources, not enough to make ends meet, um, it's like a, an ongoing crisis. I mean, you're, in, you're a person in crisis um, all the time, you know, mm-hmm. moving from one thing to the next thing. And so that's why we decided we were going to call it that. Um, I think so. one last thing that I saw that I think would be a good group to present it to are social service employees because... Mm-hmm. So many people left their children home alone, mm-hmm. and for a good reason. Well, some left their babies just home alone or would take their mm-hmm. babies to the job site or mm-hmm. do things because not one person could afford daycare. Not one right. could right. afford to put their right. kid at the daycare. And so I think for the social services people or those judges who are doing family court or our lawyers who do uh, for the agencies where the lawyers do parent respondent parent counsel work, I think it's really important to understand yep. why people are making really hard choices and they're not just choosing to leave their kid home alone necessarily with ADD and a nine-year-old, you know? Right, right, exactly. Yep. So I guess yep. if nobody, well, I don't know if anybody has questions because they're all on mute. If somebody does, I suppose this would be a great time for you to ask Gina, unmute. And if if not, I think we've been talking for the better part of an hour. So I think you covered a lot of ground. Thanks, Gina. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Gina, this is Jennifer out out here in Colorado. I really appreciate this. This this is amazing. Um, Just absolutely amazing. And I can hardly implement this. Thanks so yeah, much for good. doing this. Yeah, yeah thank this you. Very helpful. Thanks. I can hardly wait to do this. <laughs> Me <Huh>? neither. <laughs> I know. I, I know. Shauna and I are going to be like a tornado out here. I'm just <laughs> waiting for you guys right. to get the kit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. This is really and you can, amazing. Yeah. And I should mention, um, when I did this for the federal defenders in Kansas, um, the guy who asked me to come down, the federal, he's from the federal defender's office, he invited their chief judge, who was very, a very friendly judge, open-minded judge, um, you know, and invited her to come to the simulation. And his strategy was that she would like it so much that she would offer to buy the kit um, for for Kansas, and then um, and then she would get the judges to go to it, and his strategy worked. Um, oh, so she, <laughs> yeah, he called me like two weeks later. He's like, yeah, it worked. She loved it. She's buying the kit, so we don't have to, you know. So there's things you can, you know, you, you can do. You can be creative to get um, the others um, there, you know. Because, um, yeah, coming from the public defenders, yeah, well, of course the public defenders are going to want us to come to something that they think is going to help their clients. But, like, if it's a judge saying, hey, judges, we need to do this, then. That's yeah. great to know because Colorado tends to follow suit with Kansas and we're in the same circuit. And so yeah. if we could get word out from the judges circuit-wide that it's a good idea, 
we might make mm-hmm. some inroads, and they could suggest it to probation fairly yep. aggressively. Yep. So yep. that would be great. Yeah. Okay, well, Hensley and I are going to change the world in Colorado if anyone wants to join us. <laughs> uh, this is Jeff. I, I, I like that idea a lot of trying to bring in people. Um, Gina, you, you also did it in Kentucky in uh, 2013. I was just looking at yes. the emails from that. Yeah. And people really yeah, enjoyed I was it. Mention that, I, Jeff. I yeah. emailed you during the call about see whether you could come back again. Um, but I like that idea of inviting in of influential people. Um, mm-hmm. We do our annual conference right next to the Bar Association Conference, so there are people available um, that I mm-hmm. could try to bring in some of the folks who do curriculum planning for judges and maybe cross yep. here um, so they can experience that. Well, if you want me to come help facilitate that, Jeff, you know how much I love Kentucky. Okay. I know. I was going to say, Jeff, I will totally come back to Kentucky. I, I would love to come back to Kentucky and do it. Okay. Yeah, so. Cool. Bring us down, yeah. And Shauna knows how to facilitate that, too. And Shauna, yeah. I, I got trained. Facilitate. Before I left yep. my old job, I made them train me. So she can do it, too. Yep. Okay. Well, you have to get an email from me, too, Shauna. Um, Yay. I'm going to stop the recording here and the guy on voice, make up voice, and I'm going to update you guys on what I talked about before we started calling. Okay. okay. People who are listening in the future can just wonder what that was. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.